Welcome to the Jewish Education Experience Podcast with your hosts, Yasmina and Ari, who will be uncovering gems of wisdom with Jewish educators from around the world. Hello, our guest today is Chaim Respis, who is my cousin. His experience has primarily been with Hebrew high school students in 9th or 12th grade, and he also currently runs the Junior Congregation Program at his synagogue, which is from kindergarten to 6th grade, and that is at Beth El in Voorhees, New Jersey. Tell us more about yourself. How did you begin your educational journey? Uh, so if they say in sports that, you know, it's born into you, it's, uh, I would say that that was definitely something for me. Um, education, Jewish education, um, as a subset of that was always something very important in our family uh, that we grew up with. Uh, I grew up in a setting where my first teacher, um, was my grandfather and very hands-on and having Hebrew school lessons before public school, coming home from public school and having Hebrew school lessons. Uh, and after my grandfather passed, watching that mantle be passed, not just from my parents, who obviously are your foremost um, source for your education, but then different aunts and uncles who uh, took on that opportunity, took on that responsibility. And then uh, as I grew older, uh, after going through the formal Hebrew high school uh, process in religious school in my junior year, uh, I knew that it was something that I wanted to continue. So I took part in a program that was run through uh, Congregation Beth Judah at the Shore uh, to get certified as a Hebrew school teacher. And this was something that really wasn't being done uh, in the area uh, outside of Beth Judah. So I, I have to tip my hat uh, to Mrs. Linda Culp, uh, who was the impetus for this program uh, and encouraged me to be a part of it. And that really just laid the groundwork for me in my future. Um, I started, or I left from there uh, and then began teaching in the synagogues in Vineland. Uh, from Vineland, um, when I came back from living in Israel, um, oh, let me not skip over that. Uh, while I was in Israel, I did uh, take part in a program that assisted in teaching um, Ethiopian children uh, who are new to Israel. Uh, and then when I came back from Israel, I jumped right back in. Um, while I was finishing up my college undergrad, uh, working in the local Jewish community uh, in Philadelphia and then also in Southern New Jersey. Quite the experience teaching. Um, so just picking, piggybacking off of what you mentioned earlier, um, who would you say is an educator that you admire? Uh, an educator I admire. Uh, yeah, I've, yeah, I've had quite a few of them. Uh, another person who I admire um, was also a gentleman who um, was one of my Hebrew school teachers, uh, Kenner Mitchell Martin, uh, before he left the uh, tri-state area, had been a teacher. And uh, he just 
opened up these amazing pearls of wisdom, uh, not just in just the Chumash, but also in Mishnah and gave me little nuggets of Tanya that were just like, oh, wow. Um, and just giving little breadcrumbs uh, as a 14, 15, and 16-year-old uh, that, you know, other people would have said, you know, go sit and just read the Chumash and that's all you need. Uh, but he was giving me other little gems, little pearls that were piquing my interest in other places. And uh, that was something that really um, was important for me uh, and challenged me to expand what I had just been used to reading and expanding my thirst to, to gain more. Would you say that the way that he taught, the way he influenced you, you found that you can you could use those gems in all aspects of your life? Is that what really reached out to you? Or absolutely because he was able to give me things in a manner that look for a lot of kids, right? We know that as much as we love and respect our parents and even our family members, our cousins, that connection, that familial bond sometimes can be a blockade, right? And how many times can your parents tell you, sit down and read, sit down and read, and you're like, okay, I read, I read, I read, right? Uh, And as much as your parents and those other families will tell you, these are building blocks for your future and you're hearing it, sometimes it does take another person outside who you don't have that same dynamic with um, who will say it just slightly different. And um, the fact that it's an adult who is engaging with you, not because they have to, but because they want to, and they are giving it to you in a manner which is relatable to your personal life experience at that time. I think was something that was really important for me and all the teachers who I've looked up to, um, who I've mentor, who I've tried to mentor and model my style after have used that same dynamic where yes, it's a subject that is thousands of years old, or it's a very tough subject, but they've made it um, relatable to where I was and what was going on in my life. So hi, what's, uh, the age group that you work with the most? So for the last, uh, for the bulk of my career, I've mostly been with high school age students uh, from ninth through 12th grade. Uh, Over the last few years, I have been working with my synagogue with a a younger subset, uh, pre uh, bar mitzvah age. Uh, Right now I'm, doing a mix of both. So uh, at my current synagogue for uh, the weekends, I run a program uh, called Junior Congregation. uh, And that is a mixed group um, from kindergarten age um, all the way up to uh, essentially fifth and sixth grade. And I'm working there. It was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And it's uh, candy. Yes, you definitely get a treat. Uh, but that program is meant to, one, uh, teach the kids how to daven, what the prayers are, the meanings behind the prayer, uh, spirituality. It 
teaches them emilat hayom. Uh, so we're incorporating Hebrew words for them. Uh, and then there's also a social, uh, an ethical, a moral component to that program. Then in the Hebrew high that I teach, uh, I have 11th and 12th graders. We have a program that is similar to that program that I was in, uh, but it covers a number of different uh, avenues. So Israeli activism, time management, uh, healthy relationships are a number of the different programs that we cover with that group. And the last group I have, I teach uh, 8th and 10th graders on Israeli history, um, Israeli culture, and then a what we call the title of the course is a passport to Israel, where half of the year we are spent um, in a classroom environment talking about all the different ins and outs of Israel uh, and everything that it means to be Jewish. And then the second half of the year, those 10th grade students get an opportunity to take a two week trip over to Israel and literally immerse themselves in the land. And we're taking all the things that we've talked about and we're talking about them and experiencing them in Yerushalayim, which is and all throughout um, Eretz Yisrael, which is amazing. So when, whenever you have to like talk about God with the kids, mm-hmm. how do you do that? And is there a difference between uh, the different age groups, like the high school kids and the you know, pre-bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah? How do you do that? Uh, I wouldn't say that it's so much. Well, that's a tough one. Because um, from my experience, it's not necessarily your age, but it's the individual and what the individual's capacity. And even more so for me, what that individual has experienced, right? So uh, a few years back, uh, sheesh, probably about 10 years now, I had a student who was a pre-bar mitzvah student. He was in sixth grade and uh, we were having a very difficult conversation in regards to the Shema and that uh, third paragraph in the Shema. And if you do these things the way you're supposed to, God's going to bless you. And if you don't do these things, then bad things, you know, God's going to potentially punish you, right? That's how the, the Sudor reads it. And the lesson was having the kids dissect the prayers. You, you know, you have to understand what you're reading outside of just reading the Hebrew, right? Yeah, sure. And uh, he posed the question, and this is a group of, it was mostly um, 11-year-old boys who um, weren't necessarily the most maturest, <laughs> we'll say that, uh, but yeah. Uh, so what ended up happening was he mentioned to the whole class, why did God give my brother a brain tumor? Mm. My brother never did anything. He never not followed the rules or the commandments. Why is God picking on my brother? Wow. And we had a really, um, emotional uh, and spiritually uplifting conversation for a class. And as a unit, I watched his peers have like this aha moment uh, because they were able, we had been talking about Kahila and how as a community, we, we laugh together, we cry together, we uplift each other. They 
were then able to conceptualize, oh, I know student X. I've been to the house uh, when he's been upset. Uh, I've been there when he's been out of school for a week because his parents are taking his brother to a specialist. I know that pain. I feel I empathize with him because he's my best friend. And they were able to put it in their own mindset as opposed to this, you know, way ethereal, like far off vision and understanding of God. They were able to conceptualize it more tangibly. Uh, and then you've had other students, you, you, you know, a seven-year-old compared to a four-year-old are clearly going to have different thought processes in regards to this concept of God. So you have to be obviously cognizant of that and teach to that. You don't want to, in my opinion, uh, teach to, to kids that God is this, this horrible overlord that just sits and waits for you to do something bad and punishes you. Right. Right. God is like the, the middle ground between your parents on vacation. Right. And your, your godparents who come and visit once a year. Right. And why did I say that? So your parents on vacation, you still have rules, right? You're not going to run around and be crazy when you go on vacation, but things are a little more lax, right? So Bedtime isn't necessarily at six o'clock. Bedtime might be at nine when you go on vacation, right? Uh, but when you come home, it's still going to be, I have these expectations that we're going back to our regular mode. But then when you have your, your, your godparents that come by or your favorite aunt and uncle who comes by, it's a free-for-all. It's like everything goes, they come in, it's a world when it's like, whoa, what just happened? And they, they just give you this euphoria. You're like, oh my gosh, what is that? And I, that's how I truly feel God is. We have those moments where God recognizes, look, I have these expectations for you. Yeah, you're going to be on vacation and I'm going to let a little bit slide, but understand I'm expecting you to get back into the fold. And then there are also going to be these moments where God comes into our lives when we really can't handle it for ourselves. And we're swept up in the euphoria of the moment of the spirituality that we're experiencing with God. And when God leaves, um, we don't feel God as intensely. We have that longing and we're always trying to replicate that. Hmm. So how have you personally handled that, I guess, as an educator, when you've you've probably have had your own moments um, where you've felt closer to God and maybe not as close to God? Um, uh, yeah. So how has that affected you and your as an educator. So that's one of the reasons why in my Shabbat service, I give candy. <laughs> uh, because the kids, you know, growing up. So let me backtrack. Growing up, I grew up in a very strict Orthodox setting. And there was um, the, the rote of how to pray was the mantra, that was the guideline, that was the expectation. This is how to, you pray and you do it under this circumstances. And there is no, um, there's, there's no, I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, you don't deviate from that, right? Uh, 
But with kids, there's there you have to recognize at especially at a very young age, you have to give them this space to express their wonder and their creativity and use that as your opportunity to create more inquisitiveness for prayer. And that's why when I teach uh, my classes, it's important for me not just to go over the Hebrew. It's important for me that the kids understand what they're saying. Because if you're just going through the Hebrew, you don't necessarily, and especially if Hebrew is not your first language, right? You, it becomes rote. And then all of a sudden you're just going through the motions and you're lessening the spiritual impact that recharging of your, your own battery, that what prayer really is supposed to do for you. Right. So if you approach it from a standpoint with kids that you are teaching them the Hebrew, you're teaching them the fundamental aspects of prayer, the structure of prayer. And then in addition to that, you're making sure that you're giving them the opportunities to ask their questions, uh, and they're going to be difficult times. And that's, I think, one of the things that I hope uh, more educators are taking the opportunity to do. Don't be scared of the questions that kids ask. That's only going to make us better as educators. It's only going to challenge us to increase our depth of knowledge. Uh, but when you give them those opportunities to be inquisitive and to ask you questions and to say things that are like, hmm, that would only come from the mind of a five-year-old then you can see the light and the spark in their eye, which makes it something that's tangible for them, something that they want to hold on to, something that they want to keep, something that they want to nourish on their own. And that's an amazing thing. Well, I definitely have found that in my classroom, just hearing their input, because they have ideas about God and you know, they have thoughts about it. So it's like you said, it's so interesting to hear what they have to say. And I like what you said that we do have to be very careful with how we as educators, as parents, you know, how we handle that. We don't want to like squash their thoughts and we want to encourage them and encourage that curiosity. So I really like that you, um, that you said that. Thank you. What have you found to be the biggest challenge that you faced as an educator? Oh, <laughs> we're, we're testing you here. Oh man. Um, the, the biggest issue that I have found, unfortunately, is the marginalization of Jewish identity. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, I think it's such a shame that I have students who comment and they love Hebrew school. They really love Hebrew school at a young age. And then they may have one just difficult year. Mm. And then you don't see them from third grade until sixth grade. Because that's the year of their bar and bat mitzvah. Right. And then in that six months or a year before their bar and brat mitzvah, there's the expectation to cram in everything that they've missed. But at the same point in time, you know, kids who have no shot at all of making it into the NBA, 
NFL, Major League Baseball, the World Tennis Association. They're at practice. They are getting specialized trainings, not just on the weekends, but multiple times during the week. And I just, it's sad to me that if there is such an emphasis on you want to give your your child a well-rounded upbringing, why does that have to come at the expense of who their true self is? And that's their spirit. That's their neshama. Right. And by taking them away from Hebrew school, by saying, oh, well, you know, we have the choice between going to Hebrew school for an hour or I'll, or we don't, we're not going to go to Hebrew school at all. And we're going to do two hours at practice. You choose two hours at practice, not even giving Hebrew school a shot. Mm-hmm. And I think most educators would say, look, get your kids here. Even if you're giving your 30 minutes with your kids, I'm going to give your kid that best 30 minutes that they possibly can have. That's going to be in the long run worth more and a better investment on your money than anything that you're going to do in regards to most of these outside activities, right? Because if you think about it, when that kid has a setback, when that kid is challenged, when they have a difficult time, where are they going to turn to? Right. You know, at a certain point in time, we all get old. Um, I can rough house with my boys for a little bit, but the days of me playing three to four back-to-back full-on five-on-five basketball days, that's, that's going with the wind. If that's all that my parents had left me as regards to how to recharge my spiritual battery, if that was the only enjoyment that I had, I would be lost as a person. And especially when you're thinking about when difficult things, when challenging or sad or tragic events happen to your life, happen to you in life, if you don't have, in my opinion, that foundation, that spiritual foundation, which comes through your Jewish education um, and your home upbringing, it's going to be 10 times easier Um a more difficult situation for you to bounce back from, from you to deal with than if you did have that. Right. Yeah, I agree. So hi, yeah. Do you have any advice for other educators? So one, again, I think as educators, uh, we need to challenge ourselves. Um, you can't stick with what you did yesterday or last year as being the do all end all. You also have to be mindful that we are with a new generation of kids and our models and our approach to teaching have to be flexible. They have to be fluid. They have to adapt. We cannot keep thinking that the way that we we taught and we were taught in the 80s, 90s, and even 2000s are a sustainable model going forward. So, yeah. In addition to that, I I challenge um, my peers uh, who are, and when I say my peers, I challenge the folks who are in their 
early 40s or mid 40s to late or to early 40s who I don't see in mass numbers. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you like you have to have some skin in the game and we need you. Uh, there are fewer and fewer Bubbies and Zadies who are going to be able to continue to teach our children. I mean, when you look through the Hebrew school settings, most of the teachers are in their 60s and 70s. Where are my peers who are 45, 40, 35? We need you. And it comes a point in time where you have to take stock of yourself, prioritize what really means something. Don't keep shortchanging the necessary component of Jewish education and the value that it'll have in your, your children's life. And as educators, don't get frustrated. Um, maintain that sense of optimism and joy when you come into the classroom because it is truly a joy to work with these, these young people. They teach us as much as we teach them. It's true. And they pick up on it if they feel that you're not totally in it 100% and it's drudgery for you to be there then of course they're not going to want to be there. Yeah, that's it. We'll start to kind of tie it up here. So our last question for you is, what do you think successful Jewish education will look like in the future? Challenging question. Ooh. (laughs) Um, I think, I think there's always going to be a component of the brick and mortar Hebrew school, right? Um, Where parents are dropping off kids in the synagogue because that's still part of our Kehillah. We're still part of a community. We need to see each other. We need to touch base. Uh, I think there will be more of, or there'll be less of a transactional Judaism. My hope is there'll be less of a transactional Judaism. And by that, I mean, going back to what I was saying, Um, about the student who gets dropped off um, six months to a year before their bar and bat mitzvah say, hey, teach me everything in the two weeks before my big date because I don't want it to seem just like a party. Um, I think we're going to have a turn back um, to a, a point where people do see that the there is no quantifiable value on the history um, and the joy and the enlightenment that you get from knowing about your Jewish culture and your Jewish history um, and enhancing your Jewish education. I think as teachers, we are going to be pushed to find new models on how we meet students. Mm-hmm. And I I think it would be really cool because I think we're going to get to a point where it's almost going to be like you're at summer camp, right? Where everything is going to be something that you can touch, right? So your teachers are going to be doing more like things that pull the little gems that I was speaking about with uh, Ken R. Martin, right? It's not just going to be the, the standard, 
you know, you learn your alphabet in kindergarten, and then you learn the same Bible stories from first grade to seventh grade. I think we're going to start incorporating at a younger age, uh, and maybe not even age, but I, I think we'll also make that change where Jewish curriculum won't be age-based. It'll be based upon what that child, that assessment of that child and where they're coming from. You may have kids who are going to get a modified child's version of the Zohar. You're going to have students who are going to have a modified version of Mishnah and just wonderful stories because that's how they, that's what they want. That's what they need. Um, And they're going to get that first before they get the story of the Ark and they get the story of Babel and they get the story of um, the Exodus from Egypt. And I think that's going to be awesome. Um, There's a, a midrash about a rabbi who had a small community and they came to him and they said, well, when you die, how are we going to pass this on? So he said, it's not a problem. I've already taken care of that. I told one student each one book of the Chumash and they will go out and teach others just that one book. So at the very least, each book of the Chumash will serve its purpose throughout the world. And I just thought that was amazing. Uh, Not having, not taking the mindset where I've got to teach you everything, but I'm going to give you this one piece. And if you take this one piece, imagine what you can pass that forward to. Wow. Yeah, sometimes it just takes that one thing. Yeah. Hi, we're so excited that you were able to join us for this podcast today. And uh, we look forward to hearing more things from you in the education world. And I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to, to speak with you. I, I'm so honored and privileged that you, you asked me to be a part. Um, I hope I've given some insight and I, I hope I've... Uh, met the the very minimum standard of what you were looking for. Yeah, this was awesome. You had really great answers, Kai. Yeah, we're really uh, happy to hear your perspective on things, also because you've, you've worked with a wide range of ages. So it was definitely cool to hear from you, hear your perspective, and thank you so much for uh, joining us for this. And-